So, um, I don't know if you guys heard, but unfortunately, you know, uh, sadly on Friday in Virginia Beach, there was another uh, mass shooting. Uh, a longtime municipal employee shot and killed 12 people and injured at least four others kind of opening fire at the at the public's work at the public works building and it is this year it, for this year it is the country's deadliest mass shooting not almost i mean i feel like i've come up here and said that so many times you know in the past few years and it's so sad you know the fact that this has become such a common thing uh even when I say something like, oh, it's the year's deadliest mass shooting, it almost doesn't feel like you don't really feel anything. It's gotten to the point where it's just like, oh, it, it's just another thing. It's happened again. And for me, I, I tend to go through a similar process every time this happens. Right? I hear about it. I see it on the news. I start reading about it. You know, I find out who's the guy, like what happened, why did this happen, um, and then ever since I had kids, right, the, the thing that I think immediately is, man, what kind of world are my kids growing up in? You know, what kind of world are, like, Micah and Josiah, like, what kind of world are they growing up in? And I start worrying. You know, what's going to happen to them? And then I think about all the kind of things that are happening in our country, you know, all the political things that are going on, all the social things that are, that are going on, and I feel like, oh, I, I get worried. And I, I start to think, oh, well, you know, what are we going to do? Are we going to send them to school? You know, what kind of school are we going to send them to? Should we send them to private school, you know, like Christian school where they can, like, maybe they'll be a little bit safer. Maybe their minds will be a little bit guarded. Maybe they'll, you know, hopefully they won't have to go through these kind of horrific things. And I just want to caution us from getting too deep into that kind of thinking. Because I know I fall into it. Anytime something bad happens, that's the first thing that we usually think. How can I prevent this from happening next time? Right? If you've ever been the victim of anything, you know, like a, anything bad, any kind of suffering, really, like a, you get hurt. You know, your body, something physical happens or car accident, or you get robbed, your car gets stolen, or something gets stolen out of your car, or your house. Whenever these things happen, oftentimes when they happen, the first thing we think is, how can we be safer? How can we avoid this kind of suffering? And often, this leads us to live a life where we are basically spending most of our time trying to mitigate the suffering in our lives, trying to limit suffering. And when we think about anything, what kind of retirement plan should I have? You know, what kind of house should I, like, where should I live? What should I buy? You know, what job should I take? Oftentimes, we're making those decisions on the basis of what is going to be the path that will lead me to the least amount of suffering. Now, is that the way we should live? Is that, a, is that a good way to live? Is that the way that the Bible calls us to live? Um, if you're just joining us, we're in a series called Dear God. 
And it's a series where we explore certain questions that often arise in faith, right? Uh, And whether we're a strong believer or whether we're unsure of kind of where we stand with God, we often have these kinds of questions. Sometimes they're nagging. Sometimes they're part of the reason that we cannot commit ourselves fully to God. And other times, uh, they're life-defining, really. And uh, today we're going to be looking at this question. We're really going to be looking at two questions. I guess one question, kind of the main question is, why do we suffer? But uh, another part of this question is going to be, how do we suffer well? You know, because suffering is is a part of life. I think all of us would agree that suffering is just a natural part of life. It's something that, you know, we take along with living And so we're going to be looking at really those two questions, you know, why do we suffer and how do we suffer well? What does the Bible have to say about these things? And so if you guys have your Bibles, uh, why don't we go ahead and open them up to Romans, Romans chapter 5. We're going to start here in Romans 5. If you don't have your Bible, you can just go ahead and look up at the screen. But, um, and eventually we'll we'll land in 1 Peter 2. But this is uh, Romans chapter 5. We'll read uh, verses 1 through 5. And this is God's word. And it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Here's a first point. Okay, why do we suffer? Because suffering grows us in sanctification. Suffering grows us in Christ-likeness. Now, there are a couple caveats to that. Uh, the first thing that he says here is, therefore, since we have been justified by faith. So actually, Paul is summarizing kind of the argument that he's made in the first four chapters of Romans. And he's, he's gone through and he's talked about how we are all, you know, guilty because of sin. Sin, this open rebellion to God. Because we've decided what is good for ourselves rather than submitting to God's judgment of such things. He says, you know, in Romans 1, God's wrath is being poured out on the world. God's judgment is being poured out on the world. And all of us, regardless of, you know, for Paul's audience, like regardless of your, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, whether you're one of God's, you know, quote-unquote chosen people or you're outside of that community, it doesn't matter. All of us are subject to judgment. We're all subject to the wrath of God. None of us is able to work our way out of that. But then he talks about God and his mercy allowing us to be forgiven because of the work of Christ, because of what Jesus has done. Because Jesus has come, because he's paid that penalty that we all deserve, because he has faced the wrath of God, then we're able to step under God's mercy, to be under God's grace. And so it turns God, who is against us because we're in sin, it turns him to be for us. Because we're under his mercy. And he says, that being the case, here in this passage, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, so that caveat is, for those who are in Christ, 
For those, are, and that does, that's not about like a, a standard of righteousness. That's not about like how holy you are, how much you go to church, anything like that. For anyone who has confessed their faith in Christ, if you say, yeah, I'm going to trust in Jesus for salvation. We have peace with God. So God who was against us, now he's for us. We've, we've obtained access by faith into his grace. He says we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in, in God's glory, the hope of God's glory. And then he says, verse 3 says, but even more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. So if we are, if Christ is for us, right, if we're in Christ, he says we can rejoice in our sufferings. And then he explains why? Because suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Now, in Christ, if we're in Christ, then our suffering grows us. It sanctifies us. It makes us more like Jesus. Right? The Bible itself expresses this in, in various places. This is 1 Peter 1. You don't have to turn there. In 1 Peter 1, 6, it says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, as was necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, right now, you know, First Peter is also writing to kind of a suffering people, a persecuted people. He says, right now you're going through this, this suffering, this trial, but the reason you're going through it is so that the genuineness of your faith will be revealed. Now, I think we know this even in terms of the world. You can't grow unless you suffer. Right? Um, you know, so... For those of you guys, you know, who are here all the time, you know this, but so I hurt my back a little while ago. I'm getting better, by the way. Thank you for those of you who are praying for me. Um, so I had that, <laughs> just to recount what I talked about last week, you know, I had that excruciating pain, right? So I was dying. I, like, couldn't get up at all. I was trying to get to my feet, and I had this level, you know, they always ask you when you go to the doctor, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, what pain level are you at? And I was at a 10 easily, like I was 10 or 11. Like that's where my pain was. And so, you know, they gave me medicine. You know, I have a, I have a strained whatever. You know, as I, 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 go to the, I go to the doctor. They give me medicine. I go to – and so I'm at, I'm at physical therapy now. When I go to physical therapy, um, they make me do stuff. You know, I told you, I told you guys last week, right? Remember the physical therapist when she's checking me, she's checking my back and she's like, oh, you know, loosey goosey. She's like saying that I'm, I'm like, my muscles are weak, right? And so I have to retrain my muscles and I have to do these things. And I know that when I go there, like they're going to make me do things and it's like hard for me, you know, partly because I got hurt, you know, partly because I'm recovering, partly because I'm also weak and you have to go through a certain amount of like suffering, right? Like any, you, you all know this. You know, when I was, when I was uh, in high school, um, at my school, you guys remember when, or I, it was junior high actually, you guys remember when you're in junior high? And if you're like me, um, I've, I've always kind of been like bigger. <laughs> like like not, I'm not huge, but I'm, I'm kind of on the chubby side, right? And I've pretty much been that like my whole life 
I'm 36. I had a good four-year run where I was skinny. That was just like the end of high school, early college. Like, that was it, right? But the whole rest of my life, I pretty much looked, you know, how I look now. And so I, when I was in junior high, you know, and this is before I did anything. I didn't play any kind of sports or anything, right? And I remember, they, you know, they make you run, right? You guys remember that when you're in, like, PE in junior high and they make you run? We used to run these things called, at my school, it was called greens, right? And what it was, was it was like, um, it was maybe like a little more than half a mile. I'm not sure, Albert, you can tell me how much. It, but, you know, it was, it was like maybe a little more than half a mile. And you'd run that every day, right? And I had homeroom for my PE class. And sometimes when, our, when our, my teacher would get mad, my PE teacher, he would say, we're all watching whatever. We were watching some news thing. or something. You guys remember Channel One? We were watching some news thing or something. And then he'd say, if we're talking, he'd go, two greens. And I'll be like, oh, my gosh, no. <laughs> like, no. I, don't, uh, I, hate, I hated running. I still hate running. And I just remember you would have to go through that. You'd have to do it no matter what. Right? And there were kind of two ways that you could go through it. You could either run it as fast as you can, however long that is, and then you would have the rest of the PE time to kind of do whatever you wanted. Or you could, like, slog through it. And that's what I would do. <laughs> I would slog through it. I would kind of go through it at a medium slow pace. I would take a long time. And I wouldn't really I wouldn't really grow from it. Now, the reason I bring this up is if you're in Christ, you will go through suffering. No matter what. Right? No matter what you do, you are going to face suffering. This is for anyone, all of us. We'll face some kind of suffering. We'll face trials. We'll face difficulties. We'll face hardship. And there are kind of two ways you can go through it, right? One way you can go through it is to just slog your way through it, right? Like, ugh, I hate this. Why is it like this? You can lament your way through it. Why is my boss this way? Why is my spouse this way? Why is my situation this way? And that's how I, I ran. Now, because I ran that way, I never got faster. <laughs> I never got better. I never grew from it. Or you could know that suffering is coming, and you can ask yourself when you're going through it, how is God trying to grow me? How, how, how can you suffer well? Um, try to grow through your suffering. Now, I'm not saying that you're going to be able to step into any kind of suffering and just be like, okay, how am I supposed to grow in this? Obviously, there is kind of a grief that takes place. There is a, you know, a lament that takes place. But let me just give you one way that can help you. Um, when you are going through a trial, when you are going through something difficult, try this. Ask yourself, what in me is being exposed? Like, what in me is being... And that's not... It's not necessarily, like, your fault. You know, this doesn't mean you should blame yourself, like, when you go through suffering. But when we step... When we go through it, there is a question that we can ask ourselves... What is being exposed? Is there some weak character that's being exposed in me? 
Is there some kind of lack of discipline? Is there some kind of false hope? Is there some kind of dependence that I have on something that I keep going back to that's being exposed right now? Um, you know, a lot of you guys know this, but when, uh, you know, so one of the, one of the tough things that Boomi and I had, have had to go through in the recent years was, you know, when Josiah was, when, when Boomi was pregnant with Josiah and, um, you know, we had this test, it's a, essentially a test for Down syndrome and, um, just to, just to kind of like let you guys know how it works for boomies for someone boomies age the normal chances of uh our kid having down syndrome would have been about like one in a thousand roughly which is actually not even that low but you know that those are kind of the normal chances uh high chances would be considered like one in 200 and the highest that i could find on any message board because because you know something that had happened with us, and I, I ended up searching all these message boards. The highest chance that I could find for a kid having Down syndrome was one in fourteen. But Josiah's chances of having Down syndrome were better than one in three. So that means, you know, higher than one in three. Essentially, if somebody told you, like, "Hey, you have a one in three chance of like hitting this roulette or something," you know, in Vegas. Like, you would be ecstatic, obviously, at those kind of chances. Obviously, we were the opposite. We were not ecstatic because those were very high chances. And when we went through that, obviously, it was difficult. And it came out of nowhere because I didn't even remember that the test was that day or anything because it was all fine with Micah, so we didn't remember. But when it happened and we went through kind of the process, for me all of a sudden, a ton of things were exposed, right? Like the assumption of health and how much that mattered to me, how much I had hope in these certain things. My own kind of bad theology was exposed because I thought, oh, th- okay, now, that, now this is happening because of me, because of something I did wrong, and because of my attitude coming into this situation, and now God is punishing us. You know, a ton of stuff was exposed, and what I would say is, like, when those things are exposed, don't try to justify it. Don't try to, like, logic your way out of it. Just take it to Jesus. You know, and you guys know our story. Josiah, thankfully, did not end up having Down syndrome. But when you take those things to Christ, they're able to help form and shape who you are, like who you become, what you think. I don't think a lot of those things I would have been able to identify without that suffering. Like, it, you know, it wasn't physical suffering. It was more like emotional suffering. But if had, not having had gone through that, like if we hadn't gone through that, I don't think ever I would have realized how much I, de- I thought God loved me on the basis of my own works. You know, so why do we suffer? That's point one, so that we might be sanctified, so that we might grow and become more like Jesus. Here's two. The second thing, our suffering demonstrates the love of God. Our suffering demonstrates the love of God. And this is from 1 Peter 2. 
This is God's word. It says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Now this is a part of the letter where um, Peter, he's talking about these household codes, right? And he's dressing these codes, and he's talking, in fact, to slaves, you know, slaves in his time. And it's very interesting what Peter says, because he doesn't say what you should do is you should fight for your freedom. In fact, what he, what he says is if you're a Christian and you're a slave, what you should do is you should be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to a good master, but even to a bad master. Now, that seems like a crazy thing. You know, and, and there have been lots of discussions about, you know, what does this mean? Was he condoning slavery? Um, certainly he wasn't doing that. But what he was saying was the effect that you can have as a witness for Christ, as someone who suffers well, is far greater than as someone who tries to undermine the, so, you know, who tries to kind of revolutionize the social structure. He's saying your witness personally as somebody who endures suffering, it shows God's love a lot more than you trying to basically change the system. And what he says at the end, verse 21, he says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. And that word example there, it's, um, you know, it's a Greek word that actually refers to the way that they would copy letters. You know, it's this word hupogramon, and it, it refers to like the pattern of the letters of the alphabet, so essentially that they would trace these things. And what he's saying is when you do this, you are most prominently displaying the gospel. See, one of the, the kind of the most telling ways, like one of the most significant ways that we show what matters to us is how we suffer. Like what we suffer for. You know, you suffer for the things that you love. Right? If you're watching something, you're like, you're really into some show, you're binge watching something, all of a sudden, nothing matters, right? Like you don't have to eat, you don't have to sleep, you don't have to, you know, other people, things are happening, your house is on fire, you're like, it doesn't matter. Like, I'm really into this, this is all that matters to me right now. You know, sometimes we get really into our work, we forego all kinds of things. You know, I was actually thinking about you know, I was thinking about childbirth and child, you know, I know, I know we have some pregnant people here, but, um, and sorry, cause I'm bringing this up, but, um, you know, like labor, like, like childbirth, it's kind of horrific, right? It, it's kind of this very unique thing that is horrific, but also natural. Like there are things in life that are horrific, right? Like somebody, you know, like some kind of injury or something like, so, you know, some of the basketball injuries actually that have happened in, in recent years have been like these horrific injuries, you know, where like bones are popping out and stuff like that's, that's one thing. Like that's something unnatural that's horrific. But childbirth is weird because it's horrific. It's kind of horrific, but it's also natural. And it's also part of like the natural process of life. You know, all women for all time, right, from Eve, have given birth this way. 
And it's so, like, it's so weird, right? Because it is such a painful, natural process. And it's one of those things where even though there is this crazy suffering, and I think, uh, you know, a lot of women say, like, it is one of the worst pains that they'll ever go through. And yet it produces one of the most amazing gifts that we could ever have in this world, you know, life, like new life, right? And it gives every mom, you know, all of our moms, you know, the right to say to us, do you know what I went through, you know, when I had you? Like, do you know what I've gone through for you, the kind of suffering that I've endured for you? Because all moms have gone through that. Suffering is in many ways a litmus test of love, right? When Bumi buys me something, I feel happy. When Bumi suffers for me, I feel loved. How do we suffer well? Knowing that suffering is one of the ways in which we demonstrate what is meaningful to us, what's, what we love, what we care about. Well, let me tell you this, okay? There's something better than living a life completely devoid of suffering. And it's living a life for something worth suffering for. See, because for many of us, we think, oh, the best life I could possibly have is the most comfortable one. A job where everything's good and it's comfortable for me and I have a good, comfortable retirement. I have a good, comfortable home. My relationships are comfortable. You know, everywhere I go, everything's kind of easy. It's made for me. I don't have to worry about things. And I'm limiting, right? I'm eliminating the possibilities of suffering. I am minimizing my risk. This, in many ways, is the American dream. This is kind of what... Our culture preaches to us, like, that's what you need. You just need this gadget because it's going to make your life better. It's going to make your life easier. All those things that bother you, it's going to take it away. But there's something better than that, than living a life that's simply absent of suffering. And it's having a life where you live for something that you think, this in my life is worth suffering for. This is more important to me than my comfort. This is more important to me than even my health. This is more important to me than my safety. This is something that is greater than my life, something that's bigger than me. Um, this is Paul. You know, Paul, when he was, he was leaving Ephesus, uh, with a church where he had spent, you know, years there kind of planting and, and, and helping them develop. And then he was saying bye to the elders. He was continuing on his missionary journey. And this is what he said to them. He said, and now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Don't you wish that you could say, you know what? Here's what God tells me lies ahead for me. 
Like, I don't need, I don't know for sure. I don't know what job I'll have. I don't know where I will live. I don't know where, you know, my income will come from. But I know for sure that I, I'm probably going to go to jail, and I know for sure that I'm going to be persecuted. And yet, I feel like I have to go do that. Like, I, I have a mission and a purpose, and I have to do it. And it's worth it. Even if that's all that's ahead for me, just a bunch of suffering, and eventually I'll die for this. But it's worth it to me. Like, like that's something worth living for. Like, when I read this, these, the, a passage like this, I'm envious. I think, like, oh, gosh. Like, that's how I want to live my life. It is often in our suffering that the gospel is made real to others around us. Now, real quick, you know, how can we, how can we suffer well to step into this? I would just say a couple things. Okay, one, um, appreciate your comforts. Right, so I don't want to say like, oh yeah, like suffer on purpose. You know, no, that doesn't make sense. Right, if you want to suffer well, then appreciate all the things that you have. Right, appreciate your comforts, appreciate, and, and try this. I actually did this this week, and it's something I try to do from time to time. But they say one of the best ways to develop gratitude is to like keep a journal. And so, you know, I, I went in my journal, and I just wrote down everything that I'm appreciative of, everything I'm thankful for. Right, and I ended up writing a ton of stuff, like weird stuff. I was like eating yakisoba at the time, so I wrote that down in my journal. I was like, oh, I'm very appreciative of this like food that I'm eating right now. It's good, you know. And I started writing all these weird things. I wrote like Coke Zero, <laughs> like you know, just like little on my phone and like things, like all kinds of stuff. Obviously, I also wrote like you know my family and like you know you guys like church stuff like that. But you know, there are all these kind of little things I think that we have in our lives that that we should be grateful for, but oftentimes I think we forget. That's the first thing I'd say. Appreciate everything that you, all the little comforts, every little thing. Because I, I guarantee you, where most of your focus is, are, is, it's on the one or two things in your life that aren't the way that you wish they were. Right? It's, like, it's on like just this one person at work or like this one circumstance you know, at home. It's like this one thing that's not going exactly the way that you want it to go. But when you stop and you think about all the things that are happening in your life that you see as grace, undeserved favor from God, like your perspective will change on that. And here's the second thing. Don't let fear of discomfort govern you. So you know what I said off the top. Don't make your decisions only on the basis of will this lead me to have to suffer or sacrifice or be uncomfortable and if it will then i'm not going to do it right like i'm always going to pick the path that will be the easiest one like we have to get that out of our heads because then that's all you'll be living for now here's the last point okay why why do we suffer our suffering points our hearts back to the love of god himself Our suffering, when we suffer, it points us back to the love of God. You know, and and, and this is how Paul closes that, that Romans 5 passage. He says, For while we were still weak, 
At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, suffering leads to endurance, and endurance leads to character, and character leads to hope, and the hope of Christ will not disappoint us. Why? Because of this. Because while we were weak, that's when Christ came and died for us, when we were at our worst. This is how the the Peter passage ends. He said, he committed no sin. Jesus committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed for you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Suffering reveals love, right? Suffering reveals what you care about. Now, that, that truth is the same. It applies from God to us only in a greater magnitude. See, when we suffer, oftentimes we're reminded, like, we're supposed to be an example of Jesus in our suffering, but we'll never be a perfect example of Jesus. Like, we'll never be able to suffer exactly as Jesus did, being, you know, completely silent, accepting everything from everyone, and bearing the, the sins of the world on ourselves, and we are not supposed to be. That's not what we are supposed to do. Suffering oftentimes is hard for us. But when it's hard for us, what we can remember is we don't bear the sins of the world on ourselves because Jesus already did that. How do we know Jesus loves us? Because he suffered for us. You know, Paul calls it the, the fellowship of, of sharing in his sufferings. You know, in Philippians, he talks about, he talks about Christ. He says, I want to know the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Because when you suffer, you are reminded that Jesus suffered for you. And when we remember that, when we go through it, we can take heart in knowing that there's a day when suffering itself will cease, when it will be destroyed, when you know, all the tears will be wiped away and all the injustices will be righted. And when we dwell in the presence of the glory of God for all of eternity. Oftentimes, when we go through suffering, and, and you know, what I would say is God has given us this mechanism of the church community so that we can suffer together. And when we do that, there is something great that happens in that, when we're able to bear that suffering together, when we're able to forgive each other, when we're able to find comfort in community together from our suffering, when we're able to be able to be turned and to turn each other to God in worship in the midst of our suffering, when we're able to speak the truth in love, when we're able to build each other up, when we're able to together kind of remember the suffering of Christ we are able to experience in part what we will experience in full, you know, when he returns. And so what we're actually going to do right now is um, we're going to have a time of uh, communion, which is something that we do from time to time as a church. And really what communion is, it's a time for us to remember, right, to remember the suffering of Christ. It's, it's a time for us to remember what Christ has endured on our behalf, because that's how much he loved us. Um, and so 
what we'll actually do is, you know, this is just set up there in the back. You know, for any of us who are believers, I encourage you, you know, just go back there, take a, I think it's cut up, right? You know, take a piece of the bread, uh, you know, take the cup, take it back to your seat, and then, you know, spend some time in prayer and take it. Um, if you're not a believer, I would just encourage you to kind of abstain from this just at this time, um, only because the Bible speaks. This is really only valuable for believers. Um, but what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to read from 1 Corinthians um, 11 here, 23 through 26, and then I'll pray for us, and then we will actually, um, yeah, praise, actually, why don't you, why don't you guys come up, um, and then we'll step into this kind of, this time of communion. This is uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26, this is God's word, and it says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you so much for the cross. We thank you so much that because of the cross, God, because you have suffered for us, we do not suffer needlessly. God, we know that in our suffering, you sanctify us, you grow us, you make us more like you. We know that in our suffering, you are able to demonstrate, um, you know, your love, God, for the world. And we know that as we step into suffering, God, we're able to have fellowship of you and a greater sense of your love for us. Thank you so much, God, that, you know, no matter where we're at today, uh, whether we feel like we're far away from you, whether we feel like we're close, um, you know, you're right there with us. God, you delight to have us here. You delight to commune with us now, and we pray that that's what we'd be able to do as we step into this time. Uh, Jesus, we pray that you would bless uh, the bread, which is representative of your body, which has been broken for us. We pray that you would bless the fruit of the vine, which is representative of your blood, which was shed on the cross for our sins. And we pray, God, that as we partake of this, we would proclaim um, you know, your death until you return. And we thank you so much. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.